I want to thank you so much for being here this morning and being a part of Outward Church. Uh, we've just uh, ended a series on the book of Ecclesiastes, and over the summer we're going to be walking through the book of Mark. And the title of the series is uh, The Greatest of All Time. The Greatest of All Time. And the reason why we chose this is because that there is no small to do on uh, the internet um, and uh, throughout the world, perhaps, of people who are consistently saying this quarterback is the greatest of all time, or this basketball player, or baseball player, or surfer, or uh, president, or whatever. There's any number of these polls, or these arguments, or these articles that go on and on, and perhaps you haven't seen it, but. Just understand this, that many times, if you're, if you're into documentaries like I am, uh, oftentimes these documentaries will talk about, you know, who was the greatest president, or they'll talk about, like, this person was incredible, they were the greatest writer, or this was the greatest late night talk show host, or this was the greatest um, woman in history. And so our culture consistently is looking for the greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. Whether you're fully aware of this or not, many of us, in fact, I would say that all of us to some degree or another are identifying somebody on a regular basis of somebody who we're looking to and we're saying, I want to emulate them or I admire them or I'm looking to the skills that they have and we're saying, that is the pinnacle of achievement or that's the pinnacle of whatever they do. And so they're looking for, we are looking for the greatest of all time over and over and over again. And I want to submit to you this morning that all of those pictures point to the one who is actually the greatest of all time. And people oftentimes, in fact myself even, uh, at times can feel like how can Jesus be the greatest basketball player of all time, but we're not talking about the skill of playing basketball, but we're talking about the root of this human and their skills and how incredible their skills are. We're talking about who they are as a person, but have you ever noticed what happens when somebody who we believe to be the greatest of all time, when they screw up, when we find out that they're flawed, when they lose, LeBron, uh, when they <laughs> when, excuse me, I know nothing about basketball except for that, okay? I hear he's a good dribbler, right? Uh, when, when they lose, when we find out that they are flawed, automatically there comes this great realization that, oh no, they are not the greatest of all time after, uh, after all. Like this person isn't going to meet that standard. Or perhaps they were the greatest, they were the greatest whatever, and then time takes its toll, and they lose their abilities, and they fade. And so everything that we look to as the greatest thing ever eventually loses its appeal. And so people are living in nostalgia and saying, this is the greatest basketball player of this era, or this is the greatest president of this era era. And so we look back nostalgically and we say, that was a picture of greatness. But did you know this, 
that all of these pictures, they never satisfy. That's why this argument will never be solved as long as history goes on and on. This will never be solved until Jesus returns. They will always be a dimly lit picture of the greatest thing ever. They all point to the fact that there is, in reality, one person who is the greatest of all time. And the scriptures communicate this. The scriptures communicate this. The book of Mark is an interesting book. And it's interesting because of this. It is one of the gospels. It is the shortest gospel. But it is also the first gospel, we believe, to have been written. It is believed that Mark was the secretary or the tra uh, translator for Peter. And so Mark, uh, it seems, was writing down Peter's thoughts. There is historical evidence to say that that's probably what took place. Probably. And so Mark was writing down what the apostle Peter was saying. And so Mark is communicating this, but Mark is communicating something in a way different from the other Gospels. He's not really communicating much of what Jesus said, but he's going to communicate what Jesus did, what happened. And that's ex exceptionally exemplified by the word immediately. The word immediately in this book is used 42 times. It's used 12 times in the rest of the New Testament. Mark is trying to communicate over and over again, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And it's kind of a rush. He doesn't include the beginning of Jesus' life, but he just begins at the beginning of his ministry and quickly, very quickly. And so he's communicating something, so we're going to be able to see very rapidly an overview of the life of Jesus. And so normally we walk through expositionally, meaning verse by verse, chapter by chapter of a book. This summer, we're going to take a, a synopsis of Mark. We're not going to cover every piece. Here's your role as we go along, to be reading along. And we're going to point out some things as to why we believe that Jesus is the greatest of all time. And by the way, you can go to whoisthegreatest.org and vote for whatever idol you have. And so you can, um, you can do that. That is actually our website. So just to get the conversation going, share some stories, talk about who you think is the, uh, the greatest. It would be helpful. So we're going to be talking uh, through Mark. And so we have all these uh, great things about Mark. Mark also, and this is especially good because it's Father's Day, tends to be a little bit more of a manly book. He, it's, he's talking about action. Men are so oftentimes doers. We want to fix things. We want to make things happen. And Jesus is especially pictured, and this is true in the other Gospels as well, but Mark accentuates what Jesus did. And men so many times are doers. We're fixers. We want to make things happen uh, in many cases. And so Mark is a manly book of the Bible, and so this will be helpful. Uh, as well. And I will also say this, this will be good for our gals as well. But we wanted to go through one of the Gospels to talk about the real Jesus. Now, another reason why we want to talk about the real Jesus is this, is that there's so much, so much misconception about who Jesus is and what he's done. There, there, there's so much misconception. In fact, I was on the phone for about two hours with a homosexual friend of mine. And we had a long conversation just recently. And one of the things that we really agreed on is that the scripture's understanding of who Jesus is and our culture's understanding, both 
re, uh, religious and irreligious, our culture's understanding of who Jesus is, so many times misses the mark drastically. Whereas he was pointing to the right-wing extremist and saying, they've missed the gospel. And I was pointing back to the left side saying, and I believe they've also missed the gospel. And so what's critical in our lives as people who call ourselves Christians, if you're a Christian this morning, not everybody here claims to be a Christian, and you're welcome to be here, and we're so glad that you are. But let me just assert to you that so many of us don't get the gospel. And that's why our culture sees Christians as hate-filled mongers. That's why our culture looks at these people and, and, and they say, who do they think they are, as my friend said. And the only thing that I can say back is, you're right. Because so many times, at least what's portrayed in the media, because obviously the media is going to take the hottest story out there, so many times what they see is the Christian who writes the note and goes to the, the gay neighbor and says, your gayness is over the top. Take the rainbows out of your yard, as happened this last week. And it, it, it defies logic as to why you would begin a relationship with somebody in your neighborhood in that way and say that you're a Christian. Do us all a favor. If that's you, just don't say that you're a Christian. Because ultimately, that behavior is not Christian. It is not of Christ. It has nothing to do with who Jesus is. And in fact, the reality is, is that the rainbow, which is so often used in those causes, is really a picture of the grace of God. And so when somebody posts all kinds of rainbows throughout their yard and they use it in that way, so many Christians get upset about this and say, that's God's rainbow or Jesus wants his rainbow back or something along those lines. But it's absolutely absurd because the rainbow is a picture of the grace of God. The rainbow is a picture of God's grace on our race. Saying, never again will I destroy the world. I'm going to hang up my bow my bow and arrow, and the picture, the rainbow is a picture of his bow being hung up. I'm no longer going to go after them like this. And so we get to have a great opportunity with people who love the rainbow because we love the rainbow as well. The real Jesus had this way with people. The real Jesus, the one, not the one we've made on the right, not the one that we've made on the left, but the real Jesus the real one, the one who's in the scriptures. How many times can we read these passages and blatantly miss the reality of who Jesus is? So I want to get into it this morning and talk about who Jesus is. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 1. You'll see this, Mark chapter 1 verse 1. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what is he doing? He's drawing into a, a comparison between like the beginning of the world. This is of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
That's Genesis 1.1. It talks about the beginning of the world. So Mark is saying the beginning of the gospel. This is something that God is doing. This is God's redemption plan, and it's being further unfolded. And what is he talking about? He's talking about the gospel, but what is the gospel? Well, the gospel means good news, that there is good news to tell. We are good news people. And I don't know about you, but good news is not taking a nasty note to your neighbor. It's not criticizing people publicly in the media. Good news is not that. What is good news? Well, I want to tell you about a story. A guy by the name of Dan Price. I don't know if you've heard this story, but Dan Price is an entrepreneur, and he's based out of Seattle. And the name of his business is Gravity Payments. And this guy is is very young. I'm going to forget his age right now. It might be in this article. But Dan Price was featured on uh, a local news station. And right below the picture of him and this this news uh, personality, it says this. CEO of Seattle's Gravity Payments is in Portland to share the gospel of sharing the wealth. That's what was used. This guy, Dan Price, he's in Portland and he is here to share the gospel of sharing the wealth. So what could it possibly be saying? Well, read the story and you will see. In April, Dan Price walked into his Seattle-based company, Gravity Payments, and announced to his employees there would be a brand new pay structure. Everyone at the credit card processing business would now make at least $70,000. And that wasn't all. Price would lose $930,000 in his salary. So his base compensation would match the lowest paid worker. That is an astounding thing. You know, you know what our culture just did? Our culture just associated something. There is good news in a story from a person who says, I am going to pay these people above and beyond perhaps what they deserve, depending on what side of the issue you're on. Maybe it is what they deserve, and I'm no longer going to take that much money. But I, this is good news to his employees. In fact, it goes on to say, uh, it's in quotes, it says, a lot of people who were creating our success weren't benefiting enough, and I was probably benefiting a little too much. He said, in fact, he is in Portland for a business summit at Wyden and Kennedy to discuss how other companies can, can emulate his model. And then it says this, watch the video above to hear him explain why he believes profit-centered businesses are in need of a revamp and what it would take to work for the man some see as the best boss ever. The best boss ever. Good news people bring a gospel that communicates to our culture about somebody who is the best ever. When you are in culture and you are as a Christian, when you're communicating, do you realize that you're communicating about the person, Jesus Christ? So many people are looking for the greatest of all time. And do you know what's going on so many times when we miss this? When we treat our neighbors incorrectly? When we hate, when we actually should be loving? 
When tragedy strikes and yet we condemn God, do you know what we're communicating? We're communicating that in many, t- in many cases, I'm the greatest, or my situation or my circumstances is the greatest of all time. And therefore, this God, this being, this Jesus should serve me and should serve my interests. And too many times, that's what Christians are doing in our culture. But Jesus brings something, and it's good news. And he's bringing good news to people. Now, what is that good news? It is himself. See, there's many, many greatest of all time. There are many people who we could set up and we could say they are the greatest of all time. You could read Tom Brokaw's book about the greatest generation. And you could, you could surmise from that all of the details from that generation. And you, and you could say, okay, they were this and they were that and they were this. And we need to be all of those things. Or you could look at Michael Jordan and you could say, this is the way that he played basketball and he's the greatest of all time. And so I need to play basketball like him. But all of us know that that's an absurd concept. It's absurd because each of these people or these these groups of people are creating a standard in so many ways that is unattainable, at least for most of us. And if that area is attainable, there will be another part of our life which will show the reality that I am not the greatest of all time in all areas. I'm just the greatest of all time in one area. You could take a president and you could say, he was the greatest of all time. But you could look at his family and you could say, there were some serious problems. And perhaps he had a horrible relationship with his, his sons. And maybe he did this and maybe he did that. And maybe he, he had some kind of scandal or, or corruption in this area. And you could say, he's the greatest of all time, but he's really not the greatest of all time. He just was really good in this area. But then we look to them when we say, I want to attain to that. And really what we're saying is, I want to be good like Mike. I want to be like Mike. I want to be like Reagan, not my daughter Reagan. Give you a little insight as to who I think the greatest president is, but I I, I want to be like this person. And so we look to this standard, but Jesus is in and of himself the good news. Dan Price brings good news, but he himself is not good news. He brings good news, but he does not embody good news. He just has a piece of it, and he has a piece of a picture of who Jesus is. It's pointing to a greater reality. Jesus himself is the gospel. He is the good news. And so, therefore, as a result, what we're going to see is that he's not bringing to us simply just a standard to live by but he's bringing to us a reality that he has already lived by. I'll get into that more in just a second. So first of all, he is the good news. Secondly, verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, what's it it talking about? It's talking about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is a precursor 
He comes before Jesus and he prepares the way. Isaiah, he's talking out of Isaiah 40 here and a, a couple of other passages, but the predominant one is Isaiah 40. Now, why is this important? Let me read to you Isaiah 40, 3 through 5, which says this. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord, the word there for Lord is Yahweh. Yahweh is the word for God. It's the word for the God of the Old Testament, the the great God, the only God. That is the word that's being used there. And that's talking about Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The word God there is Elohim. Another word for the true and the living Hebrew God, the God that we serve the God who created all things. This is the God that we're talking about. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now what's important about this is this. Get this. Don't, don't, don't lose this. Mark's assertion here as is the gospel writer's assertion is this, is that this person, Jesus, his way is being prepared by John the Baptist. And as such, John the Baptist is fulfilling Isaiah 40. So who is John the Baptist preparing the way for? God himself. This is God the Son the Son of God. He is truly God. Now, let me just stop right there just for a second. Why is this important? Because of this. If Jesus is not God, then I submit to you that he is just simply another pole on the internet. He's just another Jordan. He's just another JFK. He's just another fill-in-the-blank He's just another one of those. If Jesus is simply just human, then all he can ever do is human things. But if he is truly God, and get this right, the scriptures are clear that he is God. He is God. If that's true, then it means so much more. It's life-changing. It will change the direction of your life. It will completely change everything about you in so many ways. Your motivation for living, your motivation, your drive for attaining things in your life will change because of this, because he truly is God. Otherwise, all he has for you is not good news. It's bad news. Because here's the truth. I'll never make a million dollars probably. I can never be Dan Price. I can never sacrifice myself on that level. He's created a standard that I will never fulfill. He's created a standard that I cannot get to. Jesus, on the other hand, is God in the flesh. And what he does is something absolutely remarkable. What he brings is actually good news as opposed to bad news. The bad news is that I will never be like these people. The good news is that Jesus has made a way for me to be like the greatest 
of all time. So he is, first of all, good news. Secondly, he is God. He is God. John 1.1 goes on to say this even further. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, why is he saying that? Again, back at verse 5, it says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jesus is the spoken word of God. Jesus is the spoken word of God himself. God is three parts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian God of the Scriptures. Jesus is the action. He is put to use. He is, he is coming into the world, and he is doing what God is. And so he is the Word. Further, John 1:14, and the Word became flesh. I, I align that again with verse 5 from Isaiah 40. And all flesh shall see it together. And the word became flesh, John 1.14, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus. He is the good news. He is good news, and he is God. Now, what did he do? What did he do? Look at verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now what comes after this then is this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. Now, Dan Price is famous because of this. Because he had absolutely everything he wanted, perhaps. Although we know more money leads you to wanting more money oftentimes. But let's just say that all of us would say, I'd like to be a millionaire, right? Dan Price had what he wanted in that sense. He had a million dollars. And so what does he do? What makes him great in the eyes of people is this. is because he had a million dollars. And he said, all of these people that work for me, all of them. The average was making $48,000. This was a significant increase for these people. You should go online and find this video. It is amazing. Dan Price says, I'm going to take my salary and I'm going to slash it till I have almost nothing. And I'm going to give it to all of these people. I'm going to give it to them so that they can thrive, so that they can live 
what is this all about with John the Baptist? Why does, why does John the Baptist have to come? Why does he have to be, well, first of all, why does he have to be so freaking weird, right? I mean, the burlap and the, the leather, I mean, it's just, it's out of style, frankly. I mean, skinny jeans are in, and he, he needs, he needs to, to change things. But here's John the Baptist. He's this weird guy, and he goes out into the wilderness, and he's, he's, he's out there, and it just it almost makes no sense. But a- until you really think about what happens in the wilderness in biblical terms, oftentimes people meet God in the wilderness. God speaks in the wilderness. And what's he, and what's he saying? He calls them to something. He calls them to something new. He calls them to be his people. He calls Moses to do something incredible for him through the burning bush. The wilderness, but we're not talking about like uh, the wilderness like we have here. I mean, the wilderness is like there's not a Starbucks nearby, right? In their time, we're talking about heat, desert, sticks, nothingness. In the wilderness, John goes out to the wilderness, and he's out there, and, it's, and it is signifying for these people something. Like, I am going to meet God. I am going to meet God, and I'm, and I'm going to see him, and they're in the midst of this wilderness. But sometimes, what this really means is this, is that things in your life have come to such a point where you realize, I am in the wilderness, I'm in the midst of great sin. I'm in the midst of great turmoil. I'm in the midst of awful, horrific things. But you know what was happening there? God was meeting them through John the Baptist because John the Baptist was preparing the way. He's preparing the way. And who is he preparing the way for? He's preparing the way for God himself. But if you saw in this passage, it was saying, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So he's preparing this way into the wilderness, and he's saying, make his paths straight. He's quoting from Isaiah. And what does that mean? What it, what it means to a first century person is this, is that when roads are built in, in this day and age, it's, you follow the lay of the land. And I mean, if, if there's a corner in the rock, you're going around the rock. And if there's a dip, you're going through a dip. And if there, if you're, if, it doesn't matter where, where it takes you. It, it's going all over the place. But when a king comes, what happens is this, is that the crooked places are made straight, and there's some massive road building. Think about this. Think about like if the Olympics were to be held in Salem, Oregon. A silly thought. But let's just say that the Olympics were to be held here and hundreds of thousands of people, perhaps millions, were going to descend upon Salem. What would need to happen? Like infrastructure would need to, be take, would need to take place. This happens in, in every city around the world, even large cities. Like they build up infrastructure. They make the crooked places straight. They clean things up. Everything's happening. And so what's taking place is that there is, there is somebody coming 
There's a king and he's coming into town. That's what somebody from this century is thinking. They're thinking, make straight the way, prepare the way. There is a king and he is coming and we're going to make straight this path. But this path is not going to the center of town. This path is going to the wilderness. And why is it going to the wilderness? Why is it going to the desert? Because he's not a king like you and I think he is. He's even greater than the greatest of all time that you could ever think of. He's even greater than Dan Price. You see what he does here? John goes into the desert and he begins preaching repentance, repentance, repentance. You need to be baptized. Jesus comes and he says, I want you to baptize me. And the book of Mark doesn't really show it fully. But when Jesus comes up to John he's, and says, you, I want you to baptize me, John says, am I going to baptize you? And Jesus essentially says, I don't have time to explain this right now. I just want you to do this. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, it says, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And what's he saying through that? He's saying this, John, I need you to baptize me because I need to go through everything that they will go through. It is fitting because of this, because I must go through everything that they go through. I must live, I must walk in the way that they walk. And so here he is, he's a king, but he's not a king in the way that we're talking about. John is preparing the way, but he's making straight this path. And the straight path for the king is this. It's repentance and it's forgiveness of sins. He's making this straight path. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm walking this path with you. I am going to walk this path with you. And what is that path? He didn't just give up part of his income. He gave up all of his income. He just, he didn't give up like some of the creature comforts as of home during Lent. He gave up every comfort. He didn't give up a few relationships. He gave up all of his relationships on the cross. He didn't just give up a couple of things. He gave up everything. This person is not just a person. He is God. And he's not just God, but he is the greatest of all time because he comes down and he says, I'm not just going to give up a little bit. I'm going to give up it all. And I'm going to walk with you. And what's really key about that verse from Matthew 3.14 is this. It's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Is this. Dan Price creates a standard that you and I cannot fulfill. I can't give up 99% of my income. At least I don't think so right now. Michael Jordan creates a standard that I can't fulfill. 
the greatest generation creates a standard that I can't fulfill. The greatest women in history create a standard that we cannot fulfill. But Jesus not only creates a standard that must be fulfilled, but he also fulfills it. That is why he went and was baptized as a king. Because he wanted to tell you this. It is fitting that I do this so that I can fulfill all righteousness. And what's that saying? In Old Testament times, Tim Keller points this out, that ceremonial washings are about the closest picture that we have of baptism. But those ceremonial washings were always done by yourself. I'm washing myself so that I can go in. Or if I'm a Gentile, in order to go into the temple, I've, I'm, I'm washing myself. I'm immersing myself. And I'm, and I'm taking care of this. Jesus comes and he pictures something for us. He comes to John. And this is why John says, I'm going to baptize you. Jesus says, this, this way it's got to happen. Because I'm going to show you a picture of what's going to take place. Someone else is going to have to wash you as is pictured in baptism. Someone else is going to have to wash you. And see, this is what people think. They think, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm in that wilderness and life is falling apart for me and things are not working out. And we think, okay, I am going to make, I am going to de determine that I am going to do things better. I, I, I'm going to clean up my life. I am going to swear less. I'm going to write less nasty notes to my neighbors and then I'm going to, whatever, fill in the blank. And they say, okay, I'm going to come to God and I'm going to do this. But the, but the road to the wilderness is paved with this repentance, not with fixing. And when you get to the wilderness and when you meet God, God's going to say something to you. He's going to say, you can't wash yourself. You can't clean yourself up. It's you can't do it. I have to do it for you. And Jesus is the greatest God-man of all time. And he is the picture of all other greatness that we see. And what this means for us is this. It changes everything. When you realize that your God walked through life with you, when you realize that he went through all of the things except much worse that you've ever been through than you, and he identifies with you and he says, I, I feel your pain because I have been there. But when you also realize that he's so much better than me, but yet he loves me and accepts me in spite of that, that changes your life. All I can do is look to Dan Price and say, I wish I could be that sacrificial. All I can do is look at this athlete and say, I wish I was that athletic and that I could fulfill my dreams, but I will never get there. But Jesus says, you can't, but I can for you and make you into the person that you've always wanted to be. Make you into the person that you think you, you, think you want to be this, but Jesus is making you into the real person who ultimately you're going to want to be which is somebody who's deeply acquainted with the gospel, 
And guys, get this. If you're a Christian and you don't understand this, just stop everything. Just stop it. Just stop. Stop talking to people. Stop, stop acting like you know things. Stop telling people that you're a Christian, maybe for a while, because you haven't gotten the gospel. Because that reality changes your life. And if your life isn't changed, you can't be a help to anyone else. If your life isn't transformed where you know and you love the gospel because it brings grateful joy and it brings a gratitude towards God to this point where it changes me. When that happens, then I don't come to my culture with an arrogant attitude saying, you're more sinful than me. Or I have all these things figured out, but you come and you say, I had nothing. I was not only not the greatest of all time, but I was the least of all time. But Jesus, who is the greatest of all time, has given me everything. And it brings people to a place of humility. Jesus went to the cross so that I don't have to. What must you do today? You must put your faith in Jesus Christ and trust him as your greatest of all time. You must trust him as your greatest of all time. And if you don't see him that way, get reacquainted with the real Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to pray and ask that you would work in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And Lord, I pray for our people. God, I pray for those that have done dumb things, which is really all of us, towards our culture. I pray that we'd look to areas where we need to repent to them and just apologize, even for things that we don't think that we've done. Lord, I pray that there'd be a true realization that you went to the cross so that we didn't have to, that that road was, was not made straight to a palace, but it was a road that was made straight to an instrument of death. But you're the greatest because you've been risen from the grave and you live and you rule and you reign today and we have that hope that murder in Charleston, South Carolina will not be the last word. That there will come a day when every tear will be wiped away and there will be no more crying and there will be no more pain and, and our suffering will be relieved because we're with the greatest ever. Pray for this so much. God, I want to know your gospel. I want to know you on a deeper level. I don't just want to read the scriptures as though it's just a story. God, would that be our prayer as Christian people? That we're, that we're not idiots in our culture because we're, we're well informed in our hearts are captured by your incredible grace and 
your incredible forgiveness. God, make us into good news people who are not just following a great movement leader, but, but are following the greatest God-man who ever was because you did it for us. God, change our hearts. Lord, I want to pray for those right now. The gospel of Mark is all about what you've done. Lord God, there's so many of us here that we look in our lives and we see areas where we've been mean towards people who don't believe like us. We look in our lives and we see how we have shamed the gospel. We have not adorned the gospel with grace and humility, but with pride and arrogance and hatred and sin. And so, Lord, this morning, we look to your gospel and we say thank you for your forgiveness. It's already had. It's done. You went to the cross already. It's done. But for those that have never asked you and pleaded with you to save them, Lord, may they do so today. Lord God, save me from myself. Save me from this wretched life that I live. I don't see it as wretched all the time, but God, you know that you're perfect and I'm not, so save me from this wretched life. We pray for that. It's in your name we pray.